Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and joining me is my awesome pal, Emily Lind. Hello. Good morning, Emily. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm very good. Very good. It's been a couple of weeks uh, since we've been able to catch up and talk Trek. How have you been? I have been, I've been okay, um, you know, but I haven't been going to Thailand to spend a week like some people who are on this podcast. I know, it's pretty good. So thanks very much to listener Linda Moulton, who I caught up with at uh, Koh Samui at the podcast festival. If you haven't heard it yet, Linda was able to explain star dates uh, and shed some light on the stuff that I'm too lazy to Google. Uh, so it was a good <laughs> chat. It was, it was just great talking to Linda about um, her love of Trek as well and um, cool stuff she's uh, written for her um, sketch comedy group in New York, which... Um, Hopefully that, that Star Trek sketch will see the light of day at some at some point. But no, thanks very much, Linda. Um, so yeah, it was good. We got to see um, you know, it was a festival that's hosted by the Little Dum Dum Club, and got to see them and the Dollop and um, a couple of other pods and comedians. So it was good fun. And um, best thing about it was cheap cocktails by the pool. It was pretty good. So I'm yeah, uh, I was come very back to looking at pictures. And I sorry for rubbing it in. <laughs> We'll have to get have to get you there next year. Start the start the start the GoFundMe now. There we go. Um, how, how's New York summer? You know, I fucking hate New York in the summer. It's so humid, and we're actually we're actually like entering into like a heat wave right now. It's going to be in the nineties for the next several days, oh, man. and it's just it's so humid. Like it wasn't, it was only in the upper 80s today, but it poured. And so then like going outside after, like when I was walking to the train after work, it was like walking through soup. Where does everyone go to the beach in New York? I mean, there's a lot of public beaches. Like some in, you can, you know, like obviously like Coney Island where there's like the amusement park and like the boardwalk and stuff. Um, quite a few people go to Jersey because that's, you know, just right across the water. But they're incredibly crowded and generally pretty gross. Oh, I see. Where do, the sur- where do the surfer gangs go when they want to rob banks with <laughs> ex-president masks on? I don't think there's much surfing in New York. I don't think we get that kind of wave. You gotta go down to Florida. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank yeah. you for teaching me American geography. Next, I'll uh, gotta come over and visit. Any exciting Trek news? Exciting, no. But I do feel like we should probably mention that um, Harlan Ellison passed away. The um, sci-fi writer who, in terms of in terms of Star Trek, wrote. City on the Edge of Forever. Um, too much, too much controversy in terms of how much they they hacked up his story. He was always really angry about how that turned out, but it is, at the end of the day, one of the most like respected and well thought of episodes of the original series. Yeah, that's a, a phenomenal episode. So I'll, I'll be interested to read more about that. So just 
what we ended up with wasn't his vision or no um i think probably a lot of it was just it like a lot of his stuff it was sort of ahead of its time and not thought of as appropriate for 1960s broadcast television i see so i got a bit watered down then yeah yeah oh fascinating i want to read more about that yeah, there I'd get into it. Like, I, I've it's something that I've read about a lot, but it was like years ago, so I don't want to get into details because I will get them wrong. Cool. Oh, we might, we'll, we can catch up about that uh, next week, or if anybody wants to write in, I've heard a few people mention that's one of their fave eps. I think maybe even friend of the show, Catherine Neen, that we had on a while back. I think that might have been one of her faves. I may be remembering this song. I believe at like some point it had like it was there was this like drug like story in it and that got cut. Like I think that's one of like Yeah, but again Definitely don't remember it's, that. this is me trying to remember something that I read fifteen or twenty years ago. So So that that's the one where they go back to is it like an early twentieth century time period on Earth? Yeah. To make a change in history. Is that McCoy? McCoy ends up going back to the past or somehow and he's not quite in his right mind and he makes something go wrong in the timeline and then Spock and Kirk go back and fix it. Kirk, like the storyline I remember is Yeah, it is. yeah, that is what it but the story the part of it I remember is Kirk falls in love with this woman, um, played by Joan Collins. But oh wow! In order, like it's it's important for how future plays out that she dies. And then, Kirk, yeah, that's right. And Kirk faces a horrible dilemma. Yeah, I had no idea that was John Collins. Wow, very cool. I look forward to that. That's season two, is it, or end of season? No, it's one? actually it's remember. actually the second to last episode of season one. Cool. I look forward to that. Uh, and today we've got one of my favourite episodes is the uh, the Corbomite Manoeuvre, uh, which is season one, episode 10, or Netflix episode 11. And thanks to Linda for explaining Stardates to us um, last step because the Stardate makes no sense at all <laughs> this week. Uh, we start off with Stardate 1512.2, so it's just a random number. Even though this is the 10th episode to air, um, its production code is number three, and it looks like there's a lot of differences in you know, cinematography and lighting and things like that, so it does look like a, a very early episode. Is that why Uhura is in yellow? I didn't even notice that. I'm so unobservant. It's still like the short skirt and everything, but... Yeah, okay, so they're just figuring out the colours, and... I need to compare with one of the other episodes, but the Enterprise, uh, sorry, the the bridge, the way the bridge is lit seems to be a lot darker and with, you know, kind of like spotlights on particular things. Well, I, I guess throughout this series we've noticed they, they're a fan of, you know, casting shadows on people's faces for close-ups and things, but it seems, seems to be a lot more of that here. So they're, where they're still playing with the lighting, I haven't quite figured it out. Uh, so this is written by Jerry Soule and directed by Joseph Sargent. And cinematography is probably relevant for this episode. Uh, it was by Jerry Finneman. 
and we get some wild shots in this. It's very experimental. Uh, so we start off in the bridge and the Enterprise are creating star charts of some un uncharted area of space. And we've got Spock yelling out to uh, stand by to photograph. We get introduced to Mr. Bailey, one of the officers on the bridge, and he's bored. You know, we've been doing this for days. He's a bit over it. So when Spock calls out, yeah, stand by to photograph, we get a weird overhead shot where the camera zooms out, zooms up from Spock and then pans to the console where the Mr. Bailey is going to hit the button and then it zooms in on the button. It's, like it's, it's a weird shaky shot. This would be the kind of thing in a couple of years' time when we're all watching Netflix on our um, VR headsets is the kind of thing that's going to make everyone throw up. Just seemed to be a really odd choice. Um, it seems very not... dramatic for the pressing of a button. Yeah, and to travel, like, with this big epic shot to travel, like, a distance of two metres. <laughs> <laughs> Man, imagine they did that for in shows like Law and Order as soon as everyone hops into an elevator and they just zoom in on the button. <laughs> very dramatic. Uh, so the Enterprise encounters an unidentified object and Spock... Uh, jumps in the captain's chair, so he's in charge at the moment. And we get a brightly coloured rotating cube that flies up in front of the Enterprise and it won't respond to any radio contact. And every time this cube is shown, you get this like super dramatic music. Every I love it. Cube every theme. single time it was starting to drive me crazy because like it just it'll get in your head. Yeah, yeah, I love it, actually. I don't... You get, like, in a lot of series, you get themes that are repeated throughout it. I This this is not one I recognise from other episodes. No, but it's, Can't wait it's till we like, get to 20 the... times in this episode. I know. So every time from now on, whenever you see a cube when you're out and about, you're going to get that in your head. Yeah, every time Man, I see I a mysterious hyper-colour floating cube, I'm going to think of that. Man, that makes me want to put together a Rubik's Cube video with that theme. <laughs> Cube theme. So dramatic. Let me see. So Spock says, steer a course around it, Mr. Sulu. And the cube follows and blocks their way, so they can't get away from the cube. Then we get a shirtless Kirk completing a physical in McCoy's office. Uh, and he's he's basically lying on a bench using a cool leg machine that's fitted into the wall. So it's leg day. Uh, McCoy glances across and notices the red alert light, but doesn't tell Kirk and, and you know, doesn't want to interrupt his physical. Uh, as soon as Kirk finishes the, the test, um, he notices the light and quickly, you know, radios the bridge. I thought whenever we get a red alert, there's a big announcement everywhere. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it like doesn't occur in, Sick bay, which seems like it definitely, definitely would. Yeah. Maybe it's just, I don't know, he's hit the mute button. Um, so Kirk radios the bridge and Spock tells him to look at the screen and puts the cube up on the screen. Do we get the dun 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 music again? It's every time. dun 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 threatening cube. Kirk's cranky with McCoy for not telling him about the red alert. Upstairs uh, on the bridge, Mr. Bailey's apologising to Spock for raising his voice when he was scared of the cube earlier. 
uh, but says it, you know, says it didn't mean I was scared and couldn't do my job. It's just because I'm a human with an adrenal gland. And Spock says that sounds very inconvenient, and you should consider having it removed. And uh, Sulu starts chuckling. He, he likes the interaction and says, uh, "You know, well, Bailey, you try to cross brains with Mister Spock, and he'll cut you to pieces every time." Kirk calls all the department heads to the bridge. We get, yeah, again, another interesting shot. We get a sort of shaky shoulder cam following Kirk as he enters the bridge. I think that shot's not too bad, actually. It works quite well and it's not overused. So it's not like. Remember, we had this phase with all these movies like Blair Witch, where the whole movie's shaky, shaky handheld cam. Oh, God, I hate it. (laughs) Everyone leaves leaves the theater spewing, it's terrible. But. Yeah, I guess the when used when you when it's only used a tiny bit, it's quite effective. The Brains Trust have figured out that we've got a eleven metric ton solid cube, and there's absolutely no signs of life on it. And Scotty says it beats him what makes it go, so they don't can't figure out much about it. Mister Bailey is very trigger happy. He says we've got phaser weapons. I vote we blast it. And Kirk says I'll keep that in mind, Mister Bailey, when this becomes a democracy. Cut to the conference room, and the Enterprise has been held motionless for 18 hours. Uh, there's no habitable planets nearby and no clues as to the cube's origin. Spock thinks it's a space boy of some kind or some kind of flypaper, uh, so it could be a trap. Um, Kirk says it's time for action, and Mr. Bailey immediately um, hits the button and hails the phaser teams to be ready before Kirk cuts him off. So Mr. Bailey's very trigger happy and he's a bit of a loose cannon to have on the bridge. Kirk says to plot us a spiral course away from the cube. And then on the bridge, they try and move the Enterprise in all directions, but the cube maintains its position. Then they try to reverse and they gradually increase speed to warp three. Uh, and then the cube's emitting some dangerous radiation, so it's quite tense. Spock says, you know, radiation levels are increasing. We can't take much more of this. And then Kirk orders Mr. Bailey to lock on phases. Uh, but now when it finally is time to act, uh, Bailey's scared and he's, he just freezes. Uh, and Kirk yells at him and finally follows the order and fires the phases. Then we cut to awesome shots of the crew falling over in the hallways. I always love and, these. Yeah, so good. I'd love to be there while they're filming that. Yeah, there's a great one here because there's like six people in this corridor and you see them all do it like synchronized. It's pretty great. So cool. I think, um, yeah, later on in the app, we get a bit where the, the Enterprise is hooking around doing a right angle turn or something like that. So you get to see them all just fall from one side and then they fall straight back to the other side of the hallway. It's pretty funny. Uh, so the people on the bridge are getting shaken around and falling out of their chairs. So again, seat belts would be handy. We get a blinding light from the screen. And then we hear Kirk uh, reporting to the captain's log the cube has been destroyed and the damage to the ship is minor. Kirk decides to return to where they were and continue exploring. Um, so he's committed to boldly going where no man has gone before. McCoy raises concerns about how tired the crew are and raises uh, a lot of concerns about Bailey and says, you know, tells Kirk he promoted Bailey too fast and he's concerned about his condition. 
in Kirk's office. McCoy and Kirk are drinking what I assume sari and brandy. And Yeoman Rand comes in and brings a dietary salad for dinner and explains that Dr. McCoy had uh, Kirk's diet, diet card changed. And uh, McCoy's enjoying this and just said, oh, your weight was up a couple of pounds, Jim. I'm I'm sh- I'm actually shocked that Shatner allowed that to be in the script, that he had gained a few pounds. Ah, uh, yeah. Maybe he yeah, didn't have quite control over the script then. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this was an early one. Kirk is not happy about salad. And uh, he asks if McCoy will join him. And McCoy thinks quickly and says, no, no, I, I wait and eat with the crew. Yeoman Rand leaves. And Kirk turns to McCoy and says, if I get my hands on the headquarters genius that assigned me a female yeoman. And McCoy says, what the ma- what's the matter, Jim? Don't you trust yourself? And then Kirk says, I've already got a female to worry about. Her name's the Enterprise, which is the worst line ever. It's pretty bad. We got this scenario in the first pilot episode with Captain Christopher Pike, didn't we? He basically didn't know how to relate to his female yeoman and his number one at the time uh, was a woman and took great offense at how he didn't want to work with a woman and told told his number one that she's different basically so yeah and, yeah and of course this is odd that this is airing at episode 10 after kirk already has a big history and relationship with yeoman rand yeah anyway it's of it it's of its time i guess sulu orders all decks to battle stations and this is not a drill and Spock says we're picking up another object coming towards us sir and we see a giant dome that's made up of a I guess a grid of glowing spheres looks pretty cool Um, Kirk tries to hail the object and we get a bit of an awkward sort of wait and then eventually they pick up a transmission and we get a booming voice saying this is Balok commander of the flagship Viserys of the First Federation. Your vessel, obviously the product of a primitive and savage civilization, having ignored a warning boy and having then destroyed it, has demonstrated your intention is hostile. I mean, first of all, this voice just made me laugh a lot. It's sort of like it's what you'd expect from like the voiceover in like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Or like a yes. cartoon or something. Roger Ramjet. Did you? Are you aware of Roger Ramjet? No, I was going to ask what. <laughs> okay, I think it was like a '60s cartoon, but we probably know it in Australia because it was like repeated in the '80s every afternoon after school. I'll introduce you to that some other time. Um, so yeah, it is that sort of. It's very cartoonish and outs of voice. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to note here is. I was wondering, because it's the whole the First Federation thing. So I'm wondering within Star Trek, when the Federation became the Federation. Yeah, that's a good point. Is is the Federation part of the original series? I don't know. I mean, it definitely. I mean, obviously not yet. So Starfleet's an Earth-based organization, well, which happened to have a couple of uh, extraterrestrials like Spock signed up. I guess, I mean, that sort of thing is it becomes like you have the United Federation of Planets 
And then Starfleet is sort of like their, I guess, sort of like their Navy. Yeah. So it's just an organization within the Federation. But throughout this episode, they're talking about the Enterprise as an Earth vessel. Well, I know in the, the Enterprise series, the Federation definitely doesn't exist yet. And like the Vulcans very much have their own separate fleet to the humans. So yeah, we'll have to find out when that when that integration occurs. Kirk tries to reason with Balak, uh, but this is interrupted by loud static from Balak's extremely strong sensor probes. Sensor. Uh, sensor. <laughs> we get a bit of that from Spock. Love it. Uh, systems on the Enterprise are being automatically shut down by Balak. Uh, and then Balak comes back and says, no further communication will be accepted. If there is the slightest hostile move, your vessel will be destroyed immediately. Um, they try to dispatch a recorder marker to warn other Starfleet vessels about about this part of space. Uh, and then Balak chimes in and says, your recorder marker has been destroyed. You have been examined. Your ship must be destroyed. We make assumption that you have a deity or deities or some such beliefs which comfort you. We therefore grant you 10 Earth time periods known as minutes to make reparations. <laughs> and I love it. I like speaking. So this Balak is speaking English. And I like, and, but yet he has to specify that minutes are an Earth time period. It's good. I love uh. it. So good. Uh, McCoy arrives and says Balak's message was heard all over the ship. So Kirk gets on the, the intercom and gives a calm and optimistic speech. It's not a bad speech to the crew. Spock manages to get Balak on the screen. And before we get the reveal as the audience, we get a fairly long shots of each, like individual shots of each member of the bridge crew looking terrified. And uh, then we get the big reveal of Balak, and he's a he's a creepy classic B grade extraterrestrial. He's got a big bald cranium with pale skin. Uh, he's sort of got yellow eyes, maybe a bit like a cat, or maybe not. Maybe they're just yellow. Yeah, it's a very and, classic '60s sci-fi alien. Yeah, which is so cool. And you can get you can order Balak masks online. Which I'm going to have to invest in one time. So good. Get a cloak to go with it. And the image is sort of wavy. Looks a bit like a you know dream sequence in an old TV show. It's got all uh, this like wavy color over it. Yeah. So I think that's sort of trying to indicate interference or that it's, yeah, it's difficult to pick up this signal. Balak, you know, it's pretty obvious straight away. Balak moves a bit like a robot. I think that would have been obvious to 60s audiences. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I don't know, because it could just be like, oh, he's an alien. That's how yeah. they move. And Balak says, you're wasting time. There's no escape. You have eight Earth minutes left. And then this is the point where Bailey has a massive freak out and yells at Kirk and yells at everyone on the bridge. You know, he's frustrated with them not taking action or doing anything. They're being calm and waiting it out. Uh, and Kirk relieves Bailey and 
tells the doctor to take him to his quarters. I feel like uh, almost every episode has one of these like super dramatic freak out scenes. Yeah, it's so good. I enjoy them anyway. That's uh, my highlight. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk tries to reason with Balak over the radio and explains his probe um, was putting out lethal radiation, so they had to destroy it. McCoy comes back and starts an argument with Kirk about Bailey and basically says to Kirk, I'm going to report that I, in my medical file, that I warned you um, about his condition. And it's probably when there's only three minutes before you're about to be destroyed. <laughs> there's, uh, it's not the best time to be having an argument. I mean, it, does, it seems like maybe you could put that off for the day next day if you do survive you live. <laughs> that's it um yeah so that must be when uh balak ch- you know, interrupts and says you have three minutes and kirk who's about to argue back says doctor I, you know, I hope we get the chance to argue about this later um kirk radios balak and makes up a story about uh corbamite um like a coating on the enterprise that will destroy any vessel that tries to attack them. Um, there's a few references to chess and checkmate, like Spock's trying to give Kirk some advice before this. And then Kirk sort of thinks for a bit and goes, ah, oh, let's play poker instead. So he's um, trying to bluff the aliens. Um, Spock, <laughs> strange Spock laments that um, they didn't get to know more about Balak as he reminds him of his father. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird then, line. So weird. And then somebody, one of the others says, oh, I pity your mother. And then there's some line about how she thought of herself to be a, a most fortunate earth woman. That's very odd. Um, and Spock sort of talks about his parents like they're, they're dead very much in the past tense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they haven't figured out the the Spock family tree yet. Um, we've got 30 seconds, so it's getting pretty tense. Bailey returns to the bridge and asks permission to return to his post, and Kirk agrees. Um, Solo, Sulu, is <laughs> corrected to Solo on my <laughs> word processor. Sulu counts down. And then all of a sudden, nothing happens. And then finally, Balak um, chimes back in and says, the destruction of your vessel has been delayed. We will relent in your destruction only if we have proof of your Corbomite device. Um, Kirk to the officers, uh, Kirk turns to the officers and just says, you know, let him sweat for a change. So don't add back straight away. And then eventually Kirk just radios back and says, request denied, and then cuts off communication. Then uh, we get Balak uh, sends visual contact and uh, says, we will soon inform you of our decision regarding your vessel. And now another demonstration of our superiority. So part of the sphere detaches and turns out to be a kind of a ship made of five glowing spheres. And uh, it tows the Enterprise along with a tractor beam. So Kirk's got a bit of a plan. He figures out the tractor beam has to be a a heavy power drain on the the small ship that's towing them. 
Um, so Kirk says, I want a right angle course, uh, sheer, sheer away from him, no matter which way he turns and maximum acceleration when I give the word. And then we get Spock calling out stats saying the, while this is going on, saying the intermixed temperature is 8,000 degrees. Um, we get shots of the crew shaking and cuts of the enterprise crew, you know, falling from one side of the hallway and then falling back to the other side. And then Spock says, we're at eight five. She'll blow soon. And then Kirk says, now, Mr. Sulu, add impulse power. And the Enterprise pulls free of the tractor beam. And then the Vesuvius, the lights have all gone out on the glowing spheres and it seems to be adrift. And uh, also not, not the Vesuvius or whatever, but the, you know, the ship. Um, they get a distress signal from the Vesuvius, which I assume is the sphere or something anyway. Um Engines and life support are down. And then Kirk does the right thing and signals the Vesuvius to say we're going to help and prepare for us to board. And Kirk assembles a boarding party of McCoy and Mr. Bailey. And he says, Mr. Bailey, I believe I owe you a a glimpse at the face of the unknown or something to that effect. Um, And he orders Spock to remain behind in case it's a trap. Scotty beams them over, and before he does, he tells them this bend low, gentlemen. It's pretty cramped over there. So everybody ducks before they beam up. What happens if you don't duck in that case? I mean, does your head just sort of like beam into the ceiling? Oh, imagine that. I mean, that's a pretty gnarly way to die. Yeah, that's it. After all, all I've been through. <laughs> okay, so they beam aboard. And then immediately when they walk around the room, they see Balak and they discover that he was just a uh, puppet all along. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Cool twist. Then Balak appears as a boy in silver space clothes, um, but he speaks with a man's voice, which is kind of freaky. And uh, I know, thanks to you now, that this is played by Clint Howard. Yes, Ron Howard's brother who is in all of Ron Howard's movies. Yeah, even Solo. And distinctly, like, you recognise him immediately, even as a kid, he's got the very distinctive face and teeth. He's voiced by Walker Edmonston, who is a, I guess, a cartoon voice actor or just voiceover guy that apparently um, did voices in you know, a few of the original series eps. Okay. Uh, and maybe maybe that's where we get that sort of Saturday morning cartoon vibe. So when we meet the real Balak, we, we get a happy, you know, yeah, almost a little cartoonish sort of voice where I wonder if the same guy voiced the, the booming, scary puppet Balak. Sort of a bit like The Wizard of Oz this episode. Oh, it is. You're right. Except he does have... Even though he's hiding behind a scary puppet and a booming voice, he does seem to have some real tech and some real power. Uh, Balak's, you know, he's cheerful and he's sitting up lounging, you know, a bit like an emperor. Uh, And he invites the crew to sit and be comfortable. And then a punch bowl automatically slides out on an automated tray with glasses and you get a cool sci-fi sound effect. Oh, that's that's what I love about the show and what I miss about TV now. I wish we got 
<laughs> wish we got more cool sci-fi theremin type sound effects when stuff happens in shows. Oh, yeah. Man, that's what we need in home appliances. Um, the whole punch bowl thing seems to be, am I right in thinking that's a very 60s party thing? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's def- definitely something your nana has in her her cupboard. Yeah, like uh, a big cut glass punch bowl. Yeah, and a ladle. Um, and Valak says, we must drink. This is Tranya. I hope you relish it as much as I. And uh, we notice a bit closer, Valak has he's, he's got a weird sort of silver headband on. And he's got these big stuck on hairy eyebrows, a bit like a Muppet. It's so weird. It is. Oh, it's very odd. Everybody seems to enjoy the drink, so it's a cool punch party. Um, Kirk asks about the puppet, and Valak says that's kind of like my alter ego. In your culture, he would be Mr. Hyde to my Jekyll. Uh, It was a pleasure testing you. And McCoy asks about Balak's crew and then Balak Balak does his weird sort of cartoonish laugh and says, I have no crew. I run everything, this entire complex from this small ship. But I miss company, conversation. Even an alien would be welcome. Perhaps one of your men for some period of time, an exchange of information, cultures. And Kirk says, yes, both our cultures would benefit. And then Bailey volunteers and then uh, Balak turns to him and says, ah, so you represent Earth's best then? And then Bailey says, uh, no, sir, I'm not. I'll make plenty of mistakes. And then Kirk says, but you'd find out more about us this way and I'd get a better officer in return. Balak takes Kirk and McCoy by the hands and says, let me show you my vessel and leads them uh, leads them off around the set. And then we get the credits and the music starting and obviously they haven't got bar to go on the set so they we basically see them wandering sort of in the shadows like they're walking <laughs> around the back of the set again doing another lap um i'm not quite sure why i like this episode so much i think it it's it seemed to be one that that aired quite often when i was younger like often i'd turn on the tv and randomly catch star trek it'd be this app for some reason um but i think it's just as fun it's got that you know, that classic B-grade extraterrestrial. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, the big twist is it's just a nice guy and they have a cool punch party. <laughs> yeah, it's such a, I don't know, it's such a weird end. So who, like, this guy is all alone? So, like, where are this guy, where is he from? Like, who is his people? How did he just get this huge, super advanced ship that he's on all by himself? Yeah. Why does he have furry eyebrows? <laughs> so wild. It, yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of, it's an episode that, it's interesting because it's an episode where they don't go to another planet. They don't leave the Enterprise until the very end. And there's a lot of tension build up, like their ship's going to be destroyed by this all powerful alien race. And then all of a sudden it just sort of ends with nothing. <laughs> just a tea yeah. party. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, you don't, don't think I've seen an episode like that in many other shows. Um, Corbinite Maneuver. So the Corbamite Bluff is an interesting 
device, I guess. This being a, an app that was produced early, I guess it gives us a taste of the philosophy of diplomacy first. So even though they were about to be destroyed and lose all their lives and their ship, they're still willing to do the right thing and help someone in need. Any other thoughts on Corbomite? It's it's fun. Like, it's dumb. Yeah. Like, and it's just like that end is so weird. And that music is going to yeah, be stuck yeah. in my head for a long time. But I don't know. Like, it's it's sort of a harmless episode, I think. Man, I want that music as an alarm tone. <laughs> Imagine that first thing in the morning. Oh, God. It would actually, be a good, like, ringtone, though. Yeah, it would, actually. I like, uh, my favorite theme's got to be the, like, the hand to hand combat music, which I don't think we've been introduced to yet, but which sort of comes up every time there's battling aliens or the crew have to battle aliens. Okay. Do you know you know what I'm talking about? Not, or... not off the top of my head. I'm sure I will I'll, recognize I'll, I'll it, it for you. Um, when I hear it again. On the Simpsons episode where Homer goes into space and he's training with Barney, I think he's basically got to compete against Barney and we get a taste of that music. And one of the NASA scientists says, I'll wager 40 quart lose on the newcomer or something like that. Anyway, I'll dig it up. Um, very cool. So that's Corbinite Maneuver and it's pretty dumb fun. I think that's a good way of describing it. Uh, I was just checking the mailbag quickly. Aha! We got one from Catherine. <laughs> uh, hello, he's debtors. Oh, is that? Oh, I like that one. As a he's debtors. Nice. <laughs> Something that made me giggle when I watched this was the camera focused on Kirk's bum and then lingering there. Interesting shot, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. So good to hear <laughs> from you, pal. Um... That's interesting. I didn't notice that. But yeah, I wonder, is that when he's like coming out of sick bay after his physical? Because we do get a lot of shirtless Kirk in the beginning. Yeah. Sweaty, like glistening chested shirtless (laughs) Kirk. Yeah, we get a lot of of interesting cinematographic, if that's a word, choices. There you go. What do you think of the, the leg machine he was using? I, like, is that just there? Like, that's just part of the wall? Does it, like, sink <laughs> back in? So, like, it does seem really specific of a thing to build into your medical bay. Yeah. Like, how is that better than a treadmill or an exercise bike? But I think that's what I like about this series is it's still got a lot of the, the Jetsons type, you know, futuristic stuff where it's not necessarily practical. Yeah. It just looks cool. There you go. Thank you very much, Catherine. It was great to hear from you. Yeah. What's what's happening on Canabite Dispatch at the moment, Emily? Um, we've been sort of there's been some kerfuffles in fandom lately that we've been talking about, and we oh, are boy. we are coming up. Um, just a couple of weeks, we're coming up on episode fifty, which we're pretty excited about. Congratulations! So exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely loving Star Trek fandom way more than Star Wars fandom at the moment. Star Wars fans are starting to scare me a bit. 
Yeah, it's been a little bit crazy. I see the there's a group that have announced a rebellion against Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm. Yeah, they made themselves a flag, which is <laughs> one of the saddest things I've ever seen on the internet, which is really saying something. And this, I don't know if it's an ultimatum or their, their constitution they've written up for their rebellion. Apparently they've, they've also translated it into Arabesh, which is the Star Wars language. Oh my God, it's so sad. <laughs> Just enjoy things and have fun. And if you don't enjoy it, let other people enjoy it and enjoy the things you do enjoy. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, Star Trek yeah. is a lot more chill at the moment. Very cool. So we'll check out Cantabite Dispatch to get the latest. We're on Twitter at uh, Cantabite Pod. We're also on Instagram there. Um, we're on iTunes and everything else, of course. And also you can follow us on SoundCloud and you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at EFLind. That's at E-F-L-I-N-D. Very cool. And any Legion stuff going on? Um, Legion's wrapped up for the season. So we're sort of deciding where in the X universe we're going to go next. Cool. We might I've got to ca- start doing comic stuff. Cool. I've got to get caught up on X-Men. I know what a Deadpool is. I know a Deadpool is X-Men related. You know what a Deadpool is? <laughs> a little bit. No, I know, I, I've figured out who Deadpool is. Okay. I know nothing about... So it's the X-Universe, is that the correct... Well, I mean, it's not... I mean, it's, you know, it's part of the Marvel Universe, but it is sort of... While it does cross over into like the Avengers and stuff quite often it is sort of it's also like it's I mean it's sort of its own defined thing in terms of when you're talking about the X-Men there's certain related spheres that it involves so Disney just bought Fox didn't they well it's sort of happening probably okay so they, they they haven't signed yet is that the well, I mean, or, I know it just like it, it, that... it just got a federal like it just got approved, so they're not gonna like run into any problems in terms of like monopoly challenges. Ah, I see. So we could. Do you reckon we would like if that deal goes ahead, we would ever see like X Men and Avengers doing some oh, sort ab- of crossover? Ab- or... Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think it's. A, terrible idea but it's definitely going to happen when are they going to bring star wars into avengers as well (laughs) that'd piss some nerds off yeah well i mean honestly at that point just fucking throw in like mickey mouse and donald too yeah yeah oh man i can't wait yeah probably don't do that so you can follow us we're at he's dead jim pod on uh twitter facebook and instagram and shoot us an email he's dead jim pod at gmail.com everyone thanks so much for listening and uh thanks for your patience while i've been off sitting on a deck chair in thailand not podcasting for a couple of weeks see you next week bye bye